Well, good morning. Wow, got some uh, new faces. What's up, Lario's family? Good to see all of you. Hey, and some of you changed seats from last week. That's kind of good. Tra- Travis, one week over here and you're right back. You're right back. That's okay. That's okay, because we're talking about putting off and putting on. That's okay, you know. Uh, so we do have we do have freedom, as Mark said, and, and we celebrate the freedom we have in Christ every day. Amen. Right. And we have to always continue as we gather and as we work through technology. Once again, uh, good morning. Welcome to everyone out in live stream land. Um, you know, there, there's a joy in just being. And sometimes we lose sight of that joy because even with the best of intentions, we want things to go just right. How many of you have ever planned a party at your house and you wanted it to go just right? But you wanted it to go just right to the point that you were angry and not happy and joyful because you wanted it to go just right. And nobody better mess up this party because we're here to have fun. Anyone? Right? Right? Omar's point right there. Right? Right? And so we get that. We we want excellence. We want to honor God in everything. Um, but we can never lose the joy of the Lord. And that's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he understands our heart. He understands our desire to be excellent here. I understand um, there was a challenge with the Facebook feed this morning. I'm not sure if Facebook is up or not. Uh, but that's just that just happens. And that's okay. We're doing our best. And even you being here this morning, it's still always a bit different. And uh, it's kind of a choice we make. We can, you know, grumble and complain or we can just say, praise the Lord. I, I have another day of life. My heart is beaten and, and we get to be here. Amen. Amen. And so we every Sunday, you know, we just take it with that heart. And I hope you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for another day of life. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know you are God and you're in control. And so I want to do my best to walk in the spirit and celebrate and glorify you. I mean, I have found in my own life when I when I slide into, even with the best of intentions, wanting to do my best, I usually slide into, now I'm in control. And usually when I slide into control, I slide into the flesh, and I'm not very pleasant to be around. Amen, wifey? Amen. Can I get an amen? Oh, I got a thumbs up, but uh, not an amen. So, so we're here, and we're going to continue through Ephesians. And I really like... Those songs, thank you, Vinny. Let's give a thank you to the worship team. I really love those songs because if, if you pay attention, I mean, those are powerful words. Amazing love, right? The song that we're very familiar with speaks about God's amazing love. And then there's a response in that. We're speaking, we're declaring God's amazing love. And then at the end it says, it's my joy to honor you. And all I do, you see, my joy, my desire, my life to honor God is a response to his love. Right? And then we sing about refiner's fire. I want to be holy. Well, where does that desire to be holy come from? God's love. God's grace. And so uh, I was thinking of those songs. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, you know what? That's kind of what we're talking about in Ephesians. Because Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 was all about God's blessings. All about who we are in Christ. All about what's already true about us. And Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, it says, now do this in response. Now do this in response. And we've been going through this series... Uh, Recently in Ephesians 4 about putting off the old, putting on the new. And I want to start, uh, we'll start in verse 25, uh, just to kind of give context for where we're going. Uh, 25 to 32, Ephesians 4 says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And last Sunday we focused on this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And last Sunday we focused on this word grieve. And and the question, because we know uh, James one twenty two says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So last Sunday we talked about, uh, you know, that the, we know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We learned that to grieve is a love word, right? It, it means that God loves us so much that when we make choices and decisions to walk away and be in the flesh and sin, he's grieved. We talked about that, right? So the question for us who were here and who listened to last Sunday's message, as you went through this past seven days, were you conscious about grieving or not wanting to grieve God, the Holy Spirit, this week. How, how aware were you that, that God loves you so much that he's literally grieved if you choose disobedience, if you choose to walk in the flesh, that he's grieved. And, and it's important, right? Because, again, one of my challenges, you know, that, that I've shared with you as we've been here for several years is, Every Sunday I'm supposed to come up and give you something new and something fresh and move right along through Ephesians. And I'm always wondering every Sunday, what would you do with last Sundays? Do we need to camp on last Sundays? Right? Until we all are ready to move. You know, and it's always this challenge because we're always, oh, we've got, where are we going? And, you know, and I'm like, I know, but how many of us have put on, have, have, have made it a conscious daily practice through our life to be so aware of God's love that we're so aware that we don't want to grieve him? That we don't want to grieve him. And so, you know, I'm always careful about moving too fast. And, and, and you know, I, I thought of this, this quote just as, as a reminder from Ray Pritchard about the word grieve. It says this, the word grieve comes from a Greek, Greek word that signifies deep emotion. You can only grieve a close friend or a loved one. You can't grieve a stranger you meet on the street. You can irritate a stranger. And you can offend a casual acquaintance. But you can only grieve someone very close to you. As usual, Paul's advice is both practical and profound. We tend to talk a lot about interpersonal problems as if the greatest issue in life is how we relate to other people. But verse 30 reminds us that our primary relationship is always with God. A love relationship. And as part of that relationship, right, I shared the story uh, last week of when I was a teenager making a really poor choice and having to talk to my mom about it and come clean. And in the first time in my life, I saw my mom in a different light because she was grieved. I was, I was going to be okay with anger and punishment and restriction and loss of privilege, but when my mom was grieved, that grieved me in a way that I had never been grieved. And I, and I saw my mom differently. I don't know about you growing up, but I tended to, to... It's weird when you're growing up, you don't really see your parents as fully human for some reason, Right? Isn't that strange? Like, like it's weird. And then something happens, and 
In that moment, when my mom was grieving, I said, wow, my mom is just a person and she has feelings and emotions and she can actually grieve. Right. And, and sometimes, again, we think of God as just always angry or disappointed or, you know, sad. But we never really say, wow, God, God can be grieved. He loves me that much. And, and it's so important that we, we remember that as we walk through Ephesians 4, the practical part of Ephesians, we can't just make it into a checklist. We just can't. And I talked about this new covenant legalism where I kind of see Christians who just kind of start saying, well, it's just a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts and put offs and put ons. And if I, at the end of the day, if my do's out, outweigh the don'ts, then, then I did good today. And suddenly over time, your Christianity just becomes law again. It just becomes new covenant legalism. And that is so far from what it's supposed to be. So far from what it's supposed to be. And that's that's why I love, in the middle of this passage, a bunch of practical, don't lie, don't steal. He says, pull full stop. Ah! And by the way, don't grieve. Because he wants to remind us that our walk with God in, in the new covenant through faith in Jesus is a love. It's this deep, profound love I have for God. You know, around here we say, why do you guys do what you do? Why? What makes the well tick? Well, bottom, bottom line, we love because he first loved us. I, I don't know how to complicate it more. We just love because he first loved. And what is love? Self-sacrificial love. Agape love. We, we love with nothing in return. We just, we just give it away. We just give it away. Why? Because he, he, he demonstrated that first. Right there. Right. And so it's really important that as we continue to move forward, coming off of last Sunday, that everything we're talking about, because four, five and six gets really practical, really practical. And then in six, you know, the armor, we're going to catch up with kingdom kids at some point. And we're going to be talking about the armor of God. And it gets real practical and real, you know, OK, this is what and, and what we can never lose the heart of why we do it, why we do it. And so. We're going to keep moving forward, and Ephesians 4, uh, verse 31 and 32, we're going to look at today, says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. I love God's sense of humor. Because if you watch the Dodger game, that verse might mean something to you. Bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, <laughs> maybe grievings, <laughs> slander, right? Right? I was like, wow, there's a lot of emotion in a lot of households last night if you watched the end of that Dodger game. But even outside of that, right? Okay, how many Dodger fans? How many of you can see a little touch of any of that in there, right? Wrath, anger, clamor. Anybody shouting at the, at the TV? That was clamor. Okay, that was some clamor happening, right? Anyone talking about how could you and they're horrible? There's a little bit of slander. Okay. <laughs> right? And it, it, it's so interesting. And then you take it out of the Dodgers if you're not into sports, but you take these two verses out into the culture right now. Just pause a moment. I'll read it again. And now think of the culture. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you 
along with all malice. Woo! Woo! And then put on, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's another, these two verses are another full stop moment here. If we're honest, if we're honest, right? Verse 31, let all, everyone say all. Oh, careful. Because that means without exception. Let all, and you're supposed to put it away, which means clean sweep. Have nothing more to do with it. Put it away. Bitterness. What does that mean? What is sharp and penetrating to the senses, right? Unwillingness to forgive, reconcile, harboring resentment, keeping score, perpetual animosity. Wrath talks about passionate outburst of rage. Move violently. Anger. In this context, anger is defined as inner deep resentment that seethes and smolders. It's a deep flowing anger. Clamor. What is clamor? Noisy shouting, vehement protest, shouting down of opponents, angry bickering. Slander. Speech which seeks to wound someone's reputation, to speak harm, to speak evil of. In a lot of ways, it goes back to what we covered in the early part about what comes out of your mouth and how to deal biblically with anger, right? And that that's that's quite the list. And if we get caught up in the list... Again, we can get caught up in scorekeeping and a bunch of law keeping versus, well, what's the heart behind here? There's heart driving all of this, right? We, we saw the verse, we know in, in uh, uh, Matthew fifteen nineteen says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is a heart issue. This is a heart issue. So before we start trying to check off and like, okay, I'm good there. You got to go back to the heart of this. Because, you know, we say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, so this is, this goes back to a heart issue. John MacArthur says this. People are to be treated with dignity because they are made in the image of God. The believer's speech must not be marred by insults or disparaging remarks directed at others. James laments that from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these, these things ought not to be this way. Right. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about how we speak, that it's not just what comes out of your mouth. It's what you're typing these days. And we talked about building up. Is it corrupting? Does it fit the occasion? Does it give grace? OK. Malice at the end of this verse 31. Malice means mean spirited or vicious attitude or disposition, an attitude of wickedness as a habit. It's a desire to hurt someone and rejoice in it. That's malice. So he says, hey, you know what? All this, that's all part of the old. That, put that away. Have nothing more to do with that. Right? And then he says, he flips it. He says, okay, here's what you put on. Be kind to one another. Now, when it says be, that's a process. It's sanctification. Okay, he understands this is a process. That word kind means it's, to, it's really to, to give someone what they need. Okay, to act in a manner that permits others to be at ease in our presence. Be kind. 
And then he says tender-hearted, and I love tender-hearted. Uh, it means compassionate love. When it says tender-hearted, it speaks of the inside, your organs, really. And, and they used to think that your organs were really this core of who you were being. So when it says be tender-hearted, what it's talking about is, hey, you know what? Have compassionate love. Be moved to love, sympathy, pity, compassion. How many of you, since you have come to know Jesus and have begun uh, to walk with him, how many of you have, have actually found yourself more tender-hearted? Right? Tyler jokes around here. He says, you know, he leaks. Right? What does that mean? It, 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 it means that he's tender-hearted. I had a, a buddy years ago. He says, you know... When I came to know Jesus, I got my emotions back. And this is a first responder friend. And in his first responding years, he'd become very hardened to the things that he had seen and things he'd have to do and deal dealt with. And, and when he came to know Jesus, he literally said, I got my emotions back. And he became a leaker too. <laughs> you know, he just would cry. And, and it was so freeing. And, and yet as a guy... He, you know, he, you don't really know what to do with that because are you weak? You know, are you a sissy? What are people going to think about you? But biblically, all it means is you're tender-hearted. Amen. You don't have to apologize. Actually, you're, we're all supposed to be that. So, so if you find yourself moved to compassion, if you find yourself tearing up, if you find yourself reconnected to your emotions, you got to praise God because who's working in you? The Holy Spirit. That means that the the hard heart is being softened. That means you're really just who he made you to be. And it's a-okay. That, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? And then he says that we're to be forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I really just this morning want to camp on this idea of forgiving. Because here's... Here's another word, I call it sometimes a churchy word, that, okay, uh, yeah, I forgive you because God, forg- I forgive you, Mark, right? Because I'm supposed to. And it's really strange because we turn forgiveness into some sort of, I think, more of a contractual business arrangement, right? So it says in verse uh, 32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kind of very business-like, Right? Therefore, I must forgive you because God forgave me. And, and I wonder, how does that, where does that come from? Why do, why do we make forgiveness like transactional? Where did it become transactional? And I think sometimes it's, it's because in our desire to, to share the gospel, I grew up, uh, you know, in the 80s, 90s, you know, the, the four spiritual laws and everything like that. And, and nothing wrong with that. It's a way to present. It's a tool. But sometimes in our presentation of the gospel, we said, well, do this, this, this. Here's what God did for you. Now here's what you do. And now you you get forgiveness. And it was kind of contractual. It was, it was kind of like, here's what God did. Here's what you need to do. Faith, say the prayer. And now this is what happens. Right? And somehow forgiveness, we lost what it really, the heart of forgiveness. And, and I just want to, I want to kind of see if, it, and I was like, Lord, how, how do we get back to the heart of forgiveness? Because it's a powerful statement. Look what he says. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what's the basis 
of us are forgiving one another. The forgiveness we have received. Just like in John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So how many of you are familiar with the command that we're to love one another? How many have ever pondered that we're to love one another in the exact same way that Jesus loves us? (sighs) That takes it out of natural to supernatural, doesn't it? That takes it out of natural. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's like mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. And so in the same way, in in Ephesians, he says, Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. As you have... Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Right? And regarding uh, forgiveness, William MacDonald says this, Forgiveness is a readiness to pardon offenses, to overlook personal wrongs against oneself. And to harbor no desire for retaliation. The greatest example of one who forgives is God himself. The basis of his forgiveness is the work of Christ at Calvary. And we are the unworthy objects. God could not forgive sin without proper satisfaction being made. In his love, he provided the satisfaction which his righteousness demanded. In Christ, that is, in his person and work, God found a righteous basis on which he could forgive us. Since he forgave us when we were in debt millions of dollars, we ought to forgive others when they owe us a few dollars. Right? And he's referring to Matthew 18. And and this morning, I just want to read. I just felt like, God, just speak through your word today. So I'm going to read you what he's referring to when he talks about millions versus few. It's in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. We look at that and it helps us to understand the struggles that we might face with forgiveness. 
And I think what happens sometimes why it's hard to forgive is we tend to maximize other people's sins and offenses and minimize our own. Okay? Think about that. What Ephesians 32 is saying, wait, if you flip this and you're walking around maximizing how everyone has hurt and harmed you and you're minimizing your own sin, let me bring you back to the cross. Let me bring you back to the cross so that your view of forgiveness isn't maximizing others. It's like you're, you're confronted with the realization of what was maximum grace that you received. See, if I, if I stop minimize, maximizing Randy's stuff, because when I do that, I can become legalistic. I can become self-righteous. Because how many of us are really good at pointing out other people's flaws? How many of us are really good at keeping score? Well, 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 I remember this book, uh, you know, years of counseling, and you find all these books. I remember this one book on, uh, I think it was on marital counseling, and I love the title. The title is, Why Should I Be the First to Change? Great title for a conflict resolution book, right? Because a lot of us, when we get to a certain point, hmm, hmm. Why are we getting hmm? Because we are maximizing everything, every offense, that they have done against me. And we minimize ours. And Ephesians 4.32 says, you know what? We're to forgive as, we, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And that's a knee breaker. That's just like drops you to your knees because you got to like stop now. He's like, hey, hey, before you're keeping score and before you're maximizing everything everyone's done to you, let's take you back to the cross here, buddy. How have you been forgiven? Right? And, and, and this is where I wonder, when was the last time you made time, took time to reflect on the forgiveness that you have received? The forgiveness. That if you're in Christ right now, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Positionally, God is pleased. He remembers your sin no more. Amen? When was the last time you just pondered the forgiveness of God? And it just like, are you kidding? I'm forgiven. Mark, we're forgiven. You know, and, and I love where we are in Ephesians in light of where we are as a country a week and so many days out from an election and all the angst and all the tension and all the anger and all the angst. Because as believers, I think God just like, come back to the cross, please. Come back to the cross in forgiveness. And not that they need forgiveness. They need to repent. No, no. He says, hey, church, come back to the cross recognize your forgiveness, your grace, God's amazing love for you. Let that so permeate your heart and let that transform how you're going to go out into this world. Let that be the basis. Don't maximize their stuff. Maximize God's love and grace for you. And let that be the source of your words. Let that be the source of your kindness, your tender hardness. Let that be the source of you crossing an aisle and shaking a hand. 
Not because you have to, but because God forgave you. <laughs> I mean, Romans 5, 8. But God chose his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Okay, who's the us in here? Everyone do this and your home do this and then do this. Thank you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, we get that. And sometimes we, you know, we tend to minimize our sin. But if we read verse 10, there's a word in here that's a zinger to me. It says, for if while we were enemies. Who's he referring to? Us. Before we knew Christ. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. See, at one point, we weren't just sinners. We were God's enemies. I mean, we, we tend to, you know, oh yeah, God, I'm, God saved me from my sins. We kind of make that word kind of get real numb to that. Well, chew on the fact that you were God's enemy. His enemy. And, and why is that important? Because, again, if we're not careful, we get self-righteous and we're pointing fingers at all the enemies of God out there. When at point, in one point in life, I was an enemy of God. Now, I may not have been cursing him. I may not have been, you know, doing all kinds of outward stuff. But just living in open rebellion and not wanting anything to do with him, I was his enemy. We were all enemies of God. And that's the place where he says, you know what? If you'll chew on these truths of who you were and, and let that seep into how much you've been forgiven, it'll radically change your relationships with others. Because it's flowing out of what you've received from him, and it goes out that way. This way. You're in the spirit. Right? And sometimes you even surprise yourself. How many of you have ever like, been in a situation where you react or you respond in a way that's not quote-unquote normal, it's actually godly and biblical, and you surprise yourself? Anyone? You're like, whoa. I, I didn't say what I wanted to say or what I would normally say. And wow, I, I feel no bitterness. And wow, I, I've already forgiven. Anyone? That's when you're released to the Spirit. That's when you're not overthinking it. You're just being in the spirit in the moment and God does something and you're like, hoo-hoo! And even someone might go, what happened to you? (laughs) That's a testimony to God's work in and through you, right? I came across a story and I would just kind of like us before communion, just, just think about this in light of if you're struggling with this area of forgiveness. Okay? I want you to think about this story. Many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom. It's a young lady that uh, went through World War II in the concentration camps. I want to share this story. Corey Ten Boom, author of The Hiding Place, was taken captive and spent time in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. While in prison, Corey saw incredible abuse, so inhumane that it drove the prisoners to incredible depths, including intentionally allowing lice to breed on their bodies, because the more lice they had, the less likely it would be that the guards would molest them. And Corey even witnessed the death of her own dear sister. After the war, God sent Corey Ten Boom on a mission of mercy 
through the war-torn cities to encourage residents to choose forgiveness over bitterness. She would motivate her audiences by sharing some of the atrocities she had experienced, implying that if she could forgive such horrors, so could her listeners. One night speaking, she immediately recognized the man who came walking down the aisle as a particularly cruel guard in one of the concentration camps. The man did not recognize her, however. As he approached Corey, he said, Fraulein, you don't know me, but I was a guard in one of those camps. After the war, God saved me. I wish I could go back and undo those years. I can't, but I've just been prompted by God to come tonight and ask you, would you please forgive me? Then he extended his hand to her. Can you imagine the horrible thoughts and memories that raced through Corey's mind as she recognized his face and then even worse, heard his incredible plea for forgiveness? How could she? Corey said her arms froze at her side and she was literally unable to move. The flashbacks in her mind replaying the atrocities, the death of her sister, the abuse. And then God's spirit said to her, Corey, what have you been telling everyone else to do? As an act of your will, will you choose to forgive? Corey went on to explain what happened next. I reached out my hand and I put it in his. And I said, you are forgiven. She later reported that at that moment, it was like a dam broke loose all the bitterness and resentment, and God set me free. It's an act of will, but that act of will is rooted in our own forgiveness. You see, Corey, will you forgive as you have been forgiven? See, when we're called to forgive, it's not just because we're supposed to. The basis of our forgiving others comes out of our own forgiveness. And in that moment, when our hands are frozen and someone is asking forgiveness for things that are unimaginable, it's beyond my human capability. It's not just because I'm a good guy and I'm going to No, it's got to be a supernatural work of God. And what is that supernatural work of God? The forgiveness I have received. The forgiveness I have received. And so as we prepare for communion this morning, I just want us to take a moment and ponder the forgiveness you have received from God. If you're at home, if you're on the patio, we're just going to ponder Come on up in. We're going to ponder, reflect on the forgiveness you have received. Don't just check it off like I said a prayer and now I'm forgiven. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not, it's not a contract. You know, that's why we have this cross behind us. That's why we take communion every Sunday. 
There was a price. They didn't call Jesus the Lamb of God just because it was a cool title. Jesus is the Lamb of God because he was slain. Ephesians 1.7 He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Do you understand? Our redemption, our forgiveness required a price. His blood. And I just I just wonder, I just I just felt this morning we need to stop. And we need to recognize what all went into our forgiveness. And if you're at home or you're watching this at some point online and you've never given your heart to the Lord, maybe you understand forgiveness in a different way. My prayer for you, and even if you're here, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for the remission of our sins. So if you're at home or you're listening again or you're here in this time of reflection, in the best way you know how, put your faith in Jesus. And this morning, if you're struggling with forgiving, if there's an issue, if there's a person in your life that maybe up until this point, you have said, there is no way I can forgive. I pray this morning you would. You would ask God to speak truth to your heart about forgiveness and more specifically the forgiveness you have received first and foremost. There's a world out there that doesn't need bitter, angry, clamoring Christians. What the world needs today is kind, tender-hearted, compassionate followers of Jesus who share a message of good news because we're just simply saying, hey, I was once a sinner. Hey, I was once an enemy, but by God's grace, I am saved. And I just want you to have that same relationship. I love you because he first loved me. That's the heart of who we need to be in this culture today. But it begins with us stopping long enough to reflect, to thank God, to praise, to be humbled, to be brought to our knees, literally or figuratively, by the forgiveness we have received. So we're going to sing this song. You guys, if you're here, you can prep your cups. And when, when the song is done, we'll come up and we'll take communion.